Odd. Yeah. John chapter 4 and verse 7, the woman of Samaria. There came a woman of Samaria. <laughs> Imagine that. <laughs> That's what it says, the woman of Samaria. And then a woman came from Samaria. That's amazing. A woman of Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Therefore the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink, since I am a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Let me tell you, from this point forward, there was a man on the earth that changed everything. Amen. How is it that a white man can love on black people? How is it that black people can love on white people? The answer to the race problem that's been happening is Jesus Christ. Amen. That's it. We don't care. There is no black or white, Jew or Greek, male or female, in the Spirit of God. That's, that's New Testament, y'all. And the man came right there to break all those barriers down. And glory to God, we've been supposed to be living in that freedom ever since. I would say that we've missed the mark some, but we need to put on Jesus. We need to put Jesus back on and understand that God is not a respecter of persons, but we are all made in the image of God. And glory to God, every single one of us, our worth in the eyes of God, every one of us is worth the life of His Son. That's the value of you, of me, and every other human being on this earth. Verse 10, Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink. You would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. She said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? You're not greater than our father Jacob, are you, who gave us the well and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle? Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. But the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. Amen. Springing up to eternal life. Now this woman right here does something beautiful. She puts on humility. You know, they're not even supposed to be talking together. They're not even supposed to be talking together. Now here's this, here's this man, and, and in her eyes, I mean, her question says, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? You, you're greater than our father Jacob, right? I mean, that's what her question is. And then he doesn't say, oh, I'm not better than Jacob which is what she's expecting, what we would mostly be expecting. No, 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 that's not, that's not what's said. What's said right then is, I got something else for you. 
I got some water that will grow up in your life and you'll never thirst again. It will supply everything that you need. This is a supernatural well. And this woman at that moment, she doesn't say, oh man, who does this guy think he is talking like this? This woman puts on humility and says, whatever you're talking about, it sounds like I need it. I don't have it all together. I don't have it all figured out. I need what you're talking about. And so he says, the woman said to him, verse 15, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty nor come all, all the way here to draw. In other words, she said, okay then, okay then, give that water to me. Give me that water. This is how we should really be with Jesus all the time, 100% of the time. We should be so much, so hungry and so humble that when Jesus just begins to open up our eyes to the fact that we might be missing something, that we jump on it. Amen. That we jump on it in humility and hunger. You know, he did this when he said, when he said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He painted a picture of how life was supposed to be if we walked in his ways in Matthew chapter 11. And he, and he says this, he says, my yoke is easy and my burden's light. In other words, the moment that we enter into the place where it's not easy and light, that's a symptom that there's something that we've missed. Right then, humility should jump on us and say, Lord, show me where I've missed it. Lord, show me where this life springs up eternal. Because right now it doesn't feel easy and light. So I know somehow I don't have your yoke. I don't have your yoke. Then he said to her, Go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered and said, I have no husband. Now, and Jesus said to her, You have correctly said I have no husband. What would our response have been to him when he said that? Because what did he just do? Basically, he just said, Right then, he just said, You're sinning. You're a sinner. That's what he did. He just, he just right at that moment went, here's your sin. Now, what do we do to that? All of a sudden, what would happen if we did that today? Everybody would be like, oh, no, you didn't. You better get out of here. Quit talking about that. You better judge yourself, right? <laughs> get your judging eyes off of me. But again, this woman moves in humility. She goes, how do you know that? She didn't say, she said, you've correctly said I don't have a husband. Or, or she said, you're right, I don't, I don't have a husband, right? She's basically admitted, she confessed to him. Right there. Again, humility. Humility. It, it, this lady who was not even a Jew, this lady who was not even like, Going, this is the way to look at it. She didn't even go to church. And yet, in humility, this lady said, I need what you have. You're right. I am a mess. Shouldn't we in the church be walking 
in at least that level of humility where we are quick to give ourselves to the Holy Spirit's touch when he shines the light on issues in our lives? He said, you've correctly said, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. This you have said truly. Now, you can only imagine when he said, you've had five husbands, she's like, what? (laughs) Hold up, how do you know this? He had her attention now, right? All right, like, all right, this guy, I don't know who he is, but there's something different about him. This is the power that all believers are supposed to be walking in. This is the power that walks in the level where we can break through the world's garbage just like that because we're walking in a glory and a power of God. Not pastors only. Every believer. These signs shall follow those that believe. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. (laughs) Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and you people say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know, We worship what we know, for salvation is of the Jews. But an hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be His worshipers. God is spirit, and those that worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. So now at this moment, here's what he's saying. He's saying, look, you're still in your head about all of this. You're still in your works. You're still in this this place of I got to go here to do this or I got to go here. I've got to line this up. I called you on your sin and now instantly you go basically to the law. God's saying, look, the, the times they are a-changing. This is what Jesus was saying. The time is coming right now where you will just simply, we know now, we know that now as believers, we become the temple of God. And our spirit man houses the Holy Spirit. And out of that place, worship can flow wherever we're at. Whether we're in that mountain, this house, that house on the street, at any moment, a believer can just allow worship to start to flow. He's saying, in other words, he's showing the change from where things have been to where things are going now that the kingdom has arrived in Jesus. It's out of our heart. I was thinking, you know the the, uh, scripture, I believe it's in Corinthians, that says these things are spiritually discerned, right? In other words, what he's saying is, in that scripture, he's saying, look, you keep trying to figure out things in your logic and in your head, but these things are not in your head. These things are coming out of your spirit, and they are caught in your spirit, not understood in your head. If you try 
to logically understand everything there is about God, you are never going to get there. He's saying, look, these things, they're not understood. They're understood with the spirit man, with the heart of man, not through mental things. This is why uh, many times people can be you know, in church or something, they're like, you know, or even uh, they can be talking to somebody that they know has the spirit of God on them, and they'll say, I don't even know why I'm telling you this. To their mind, it makes no sense to open up like that. But there's something in their spirit that says, release this. And they understand by the spirit, I need to confess this to you. I need to tell you about it. And they can be in church and say, I don't know why I need to walk up there, but I need to walk up there. I need to surrender myself. That doesn't even make sense because surrender in the earth or submit is like a bad word to most people. But yet, when you submit to a loving Father, all of a sudden everything changes. When we submit not only our lives, but our actions and everything, everything changes. And so what we do with every action is we start to give our whole lives as a life of worship that doesn't come out of our head, it comes out of our spirit. It, it's spiritually worship. And this is what he's saying. Then the woman said to him, verse 25, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When the one comes, he will declare all things to us. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. At this point, his disciples came, and they were amazed that he had been speaking with a woman, yet no one said, what do you seek, or why do you speak with her? Look at that. Even back then... The disciples fought with asking questions and communicating. <laughs> so the woman left her water pot. You know, the reference here, the context is they should have said, instead of wondering, they should have asked. They should have humbled themselves to ask and communicate. So the woman left her water pot and went into the city and said to the men, Come see a man who told me all the things I have done. This is not the Christ, is it? See, when the real power of God starts to flow, it, it presses people to go and become evangelists. All of a sudden, you can't help but talk. When the power of God starts to release in your life, you can't help but start to tell people about Jesus. This woman, she's not even born again yet, and yet she has become an evangelist for Jesus simply because the power from heaven, the supernatural, was released in her life. This is why believers need to be carrying the supernatural. And they need, they're not going to be carrying the supernatural without being filled with the Holy Ghost. And this is why he commanded us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So that we would be walking around like Jesus was, filled with the Holy Ghost. But now look at this. Just in this room, look at how many people we could have acting like Jesus if we grow up into the power of God. If we become carriers of his glory. This is coming across like a preaching and this is offering. 
She said, come see a man who told me all the things I have done. This is not the Christ, is it? They went out of the city and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. All right, now right here. Right here. Rabbi, eat. What are they saying? Jesus, you got some physical needs. They weren't saying necessarily a wrong thing. They were saying a, a fact, like you need to eat. Right here, I want you to identify with Jesus. Do you have things in your life that you have need of? Do you need food? Yes. Do you need to breathe? Yes. Do you need wages? Do you need money? Yes. Yes, you do. The, the word shows us you needed abundance for every good work. If you don't have an abundance, it's going to be hard for every good work. Do you need, uh, if you own a business, do you need good employees? If you are an employee, do you need a good boss? In your family, do you need some solutions? In your body, do you sometimes need healing? Do you need protection? These are all physical things. And so they say to Jesus, Jesus, they're basically, Jesus, you need something. You need. You have needs. I mean, food is probably one of the most basic of all. But he said to them, verse 32, I have food to eat that you do not know about. And di disciples were saying to one another, no one brought him anything to eat, did he? <laughs> it's like, did you bring him something to eat? I didn't bring him anything. How, how's he got some food that we don't know about? The whole point of this chapter has been the spiritual side and supply of God. There's things that we need in our life, but the root and the foundation for that need being supplied is not in the flesh. As soon as we step from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, our whole provision system and flow of the needs into our life moves from a physical realm into a spiritual realm. And they are generated and produced first in the spirit by the life of God. First. But when you step out of the spiritual realm that you are now a part of, if you have accepted Christ, and if you haven't accepted Christ, you can step into this place where there is no lack where there is an ever, uh, everlasting abundance in the Father. All you have to do is, when you accept Christ, you step in. You become an heir of all things. You are blessed with every spiritual blessing. And it's in that spiritual place that God then produces the food and even brings supernatural strength that the disciples had no idea about. But if you step back over here and you start trying to figure it out, Handle it your way. Do it like this, like the world has taught you. You're messing up. You're going back to the worldly well and you are literally saying no to the spiritual well that never runs dry. 
Just like we have to discern things spiritually, we have to uh, grab a hold of things spiritually as well. Verse 34, Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. And you see what he just did right here. He said, if I will be about the work of the Father, he, he right here literally equates it to this, that when I go after God's work, he will feed me. Even if I don't put food in my mouth, something will happen in my body that will sustain me, lift me up. And even though it's a, of a spiritual root, there will be a physical supply. In other words, he's saying, look, I'm not hungry because I've been about Jesus' work. Jesus said to them, verse 34 again, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. I'm going to tell you right now, that if you will learn how to be about his will and do his work, you will never be in need again. That's a great place for an amen. amen. If you will be about his work, you will never be in need again. Because you can take this verse right here and you can say that I feed off of doing the will of the Father. I feed off of it. I understand that I can do things in the spirit that will produce in the flesh and I never have to do it the flesh's way again. And that doesn't mean that we just go home and all we do is sit around and pray because he told us that's not how it works in here. But it means that I've set my life to be lived by obedience to the word of God. And I will be about his work, not my own. And then my own will take care of itself. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. He said, verse 35. Do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields. For they are white for harvest. Right now... What does Jesus say? He says, look, if you'll get about the Father's business, you'll have food that will supply you. You will have answers in your business. You will have solutions. Even while you sleep, He will give to you. Right? In Psalms 127, verse 1 and 2. He will give to His beloved, even in their sleep. He will solve problems in your family. He will bring about peace. He will protect your children. He will bring them to the Lord. He will heal your body. Right? He will restore you and deliver you. That's who He is. All you have to do is be about Him. Now we say amen, but I'm telling you, you wake up tomorrow morning, your alarm clock goes off, you go into work, and all of a sudden, isn't it amazing how we forget this when we clock in? That's where it's got to be applied. Not just here. You get it here, but you apply it in the morning when you go to live tomorrow and the next day. Because if you go right back to the world's way of doing stuff, you're giving up. An everlasting supply. But if we will stay in that place of easy and light, going after the will of the Father and doing His work, and, and all of a sudden, 
this will be taken care of. Then, not only that, but what does he immediately equate the will of the Father to? Immediately, he shows the will of the Father is what? To bring about the harvest of souls. The harvest of souls. Immediately, he says, here's the will of the Father. Win souls. This is for everybody. Win souls. Not just as a church. Not just individually. Some people just go out individually all the time and they're a great winner of souls and that's awesome. But they never do anything in the church to help. Which is designed to help build and grow to the fullness of the stature of Christ to build more soul winners. Then you have some people that always uh, support the church but they never go and win souls personally. Then you have some that don't do either one. We want to be the ones that we do everything that the Lord's leading us to. We're in the place. The will of God is at the forefront of our heart. And at the forefront of his heart is souls. Our goal this year is nothing short of 1,000 commitments to Christ. The average church in America wins less than two people per year. That's sin. You know, I can, I can prove it because that is not a blind faith. I don't care who you are. One person can go out and win two people in a day. That is sin. Somebody's not a blind faith and a lack of faith is sin, the word says. That's sin. And yet we've been okay with it. A thousand. Last year we had 300, over 350 commitments to Christ. Glory to God. But that's just the beginning. There's some people that really impresses. And then there's some people I tell that to I only want to tell it to. I know a guy right now, he, he's been going around the, the country. And within, uh, I think it was seven or eight months, him and his team of about six or seven people won 83,000 people to the Lord. In seven or eight months. That's being about the Father's business. We want to win a minimum of a thousand to the Lord this year. That's our goal. That means it's going to take group effort. It's going to take individual effort. It's going to take, it's going to take the giving of ourselves to the Father's will. Our time, our efforts, our resources, our money, it's going to take that to do those things. And that's just the beginning. It will grow. The Lord has given us a goal, literally, over 20 years for 20 million commitments to the Lord. And I'm serious about it. When he first told it to me, it made me almost swallow my gum. <laughs> you know? But I'm telling you, he, as I accepted that, all of a sudden, he started giving me plans. I didn't just say, that's too much, that's too big. Do you know how big we are? Do you know where we're at? Albemarle. Right? No, 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 no. As I accepted that, okay, Lord, by faith, I receive that. Now show me how to do it. <laughs> show us what to do. And we're going to do it. Amen. Amen? Amen. We're already started, already on track, doing good. He's already given us plans. Verse 36. Already he who reaps is receiving wages and is gathering fruit for life eternal, so that he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. 
For in this case the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored and you do have entered into their labor. There's fields right now that have been planted long ago that's time for us to reap the harvest of it. Amen. We have food. There's solutions. There's all kinds of supernatural solutions to everything that you will face every single day. The plan is already laid in place. All it takes is for us to get in the spiritual supply of God and believe Him and be about His business, be about winning souls. If we put that first, everything else will fall in place. Tonight as we take up the offering, this is what we're focused on. This is it. We're after souls this year. We want to see commitments to Christ. And why do we want that? One, it's the Father's heart. But also, we've seen from experience that when people truly... There's a whole bunch of religion and a whole bunch of people doing the wrong things in the world and wrong things in the church. But when somebody actually meets Jesus of the Bible they will start to walk in a fullness of joy that just blows their mind. And he even says, I want you to have fullness of joy. We want to introduce them to Jesus, not because it's hard. Actually, it's easy when you live it right. It's actually very easy, fun, exciting, challenging, and full of joy. And we found you know, from the beginning of Boomerang, we said uh, we want to help people find their joy again. We want to help them find the fullness of joy. So right now, whether, I don't know, you know, some people, you didn't come uh, prepared to give tonight. I get that completely. And I understand that. I've been there as well. And whether you came tonight to give or not, what you have is you have an envelope. That envelope cost us something. We gave it to you. Now it's yours. You can do with it what you want. You can ball it up. You can draw little circles on it. Uh, and you can throw it in the trash. But if you'd like to, you can sow it as seed and kickstart your finances that will then turn into a harvest. Because if you put it back up here all of a sudden, you're giving us something that we don't have to pay for again. And yeah, we gave it to you because we love you. But some of you that weren't ready to give, we wanted to give you the kickstart for this year in your finances. And so right now, I just ask you to stand up. Patty, if you'll come and go ahead and play. Offering, our offering is also a worship that doesn't come out of our mind, but it comes out of our spirit. If we worship out of our mind, we're missing the point. But if we'll say, Lord, I'm giving this to you tonight, even if you don't have anything in it, you're returning it and you're kick-starting your finances. Anybody in here need some help or just want some help in your finances? Amen. Glory to God. And God wants to help. And so you just close your eyes right now and just say, Lord, out of my heart, I want to give to you. And I want to release to you some of what I have 
because I see what you're doing as important and what you honor, I want to honor. And so I give tonight in a spirit of worship and truth and out of the love of my heart. In Jesus' name, amen. You can bring that forward. Father, as they're bringing that forward, in the name of Jesus, everything that we receive right now, everything that we receive, Father, let it be blessed, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. May men and women give unto their lives in the name of Jesus. Father, we praise you for multiplied harvest in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 You can be seated. Turn with me uh, quickly to Luke chapter 14 and verse 25. We talked about this the other night. We've been talking all week about a wise plan. We've had a few interruptions by the Holy Ghost in what we had planned. He had a better plan and it's the most wise. Amen. In Luke 14, 25, you know, we talked about this. It said, a large crowd, I'm reading in the New Living, a large crowd was following Jesus. He turned around and said to them, if you want to be my disciple, you must hate everyone else by comparison. Your mother, your father, your mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. Now, some people have, of course, taken that wrongly. I've, I've talked to a few over the years that have taken that, and they say, well, Jesus told me i got to hate my brother and father. In other words, they like, you know, completely dishonor their parents and their family uh, because of this verse. They've missed the whole point of it. He's saying, uh, that's why I use the New Living, because it points it out. And if you compared your relationship with Jesus compared to your relationship with other people, the relationship with Jesus has to be above it. That's what he's saying. You, it can't even come close. He's got to be first, right? The, the first love of my life, to keep everything straight, the first love of my life is not my wife, Nicole. The first love of my life is Jesus, and if I love him correctly, I'll love her right. Amen. You see, there's, there's a priority and a balance of that. A lot of people misunderstand that. And so uh, even, even with their kids, a lot of people love their kids more than they love Jesus because every decision they make about their spiritual life, well, my kids didn't feel like going today or they want to go to this church, but they never stopped to listen to what Jesus said because Jesus knows where your kids actually need to be. Why is your kids making an eternal decision in your life? Yeah, Come on, preach it. yeah it, it's, that's, anyway... 
If you want to be my disciple, you must hate everyone else by comparison, your father, your mother, your wife, children, brothers, sisters, yes, even your own life. In other words, a lot of times people put their own life and their own things in, in front, and they says, otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. In other words, you're not going to be a disciple of Jesus unless you put him first. You discipline yourself after him and you tell your flesh that's corrupted, no, right? And he says, if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. Now notice in the garden he said, not my will, but your will be done. In other words, the will of Jesus was not to go to the cross and die, but his will was to do everything the Father said to do. And he said, look, I don't want to go do that. If there's any other way, not my will, but yours be done. So what did he do? His flesh wanted to go one way, but he said, I love you, Father, over my own life. So that's the example. And so he put his flesh under the weight of the cross and carried his cross. This is what it means for us to carry our cross daily, is that you put your flesh down. You put it under, right? Your flesh doesn't get in the way. He says, but don't begin until you count the cost. Now, many times there's many of us that we need to step out in the things of God. It's been too long. God's been calling us for too long. We've been giving them excuses. We've been holding back. But then there's some of us that we jump uh, at the first uh, whiff of, you have a calling on your life. All of a sudden it's like, give me the microphone, right? And you got both ditches. I've been both at some point, right? I've messed it up good both ways. Glory to God. <laughs> but there's generally, you... you find very few that have a balance on that and understand. And he's saying, how many of us, if, I, well, you don't even have to raise your hand, but you'll understand the point. How many of us have jumped for the, for the ministry of God or the leadership in his kingdom only to find out we, we didn't count the cost? <laughs> it cost us more than I thought it was going to cost. Amen? <laughs> All of us generally have done that in some way. And all of a sudden, we step out there thinking we're all something, going to save the world. And all of a sudden, we found out we moved a little too soon and didn't fully count the cost. And that's what he's saying. For who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to finish it? Otherwise, you might complete only the foundation before running out of money, and then everyone would laugh at you. They would say, there's the person who started the building and couldn't afford to finish it. And what is he trying to say here? He's trying to say, it's not that we shouldn't step out in the things of God. It's that we should take the time and do it quickly and count the cost and come to a good decision. It's not that we shouldn't go or we should go. It's that we should quickly count the cost, make a good, godly, based on heaven decision, and then go. He's not saying wait forever. He's not saying jump at the first instance. He's saying come, count the cost, make a decision, and stick by that decision. But don't make a decision un unwisely. 
Don't make one without taking the time to think, what's this actually going to cost me? When we first started the church, we started in the house. I, I had a small company. Nicole did uh, not, was it? Yeah, you had the job by then. She had a job. Uh, but I, you know, for the first four years, I didn't get paid. But we knew when we started it that that was the case. And we were well willing to start it because we believed in what God told us to do. And so for four years, you know, basically no pay. If, if we hadn't have done that, we would not probably not be here today, almost assuredly. That was a part of the cost, and we were willing to do that. But we took the time to talk about it and say, hey, is this, are we willing to pay this cost? And then even after that, it wasn't like it was much in the fifth year. <laughs> it wasn't a whole lot. But we were willing. But look, anything was better than nothing. So I was pretty happy. I was like, glory to God. I told one uh, minister friend what I was getting paid in year five. Uh, and uh, he said, oh my gosh, Brian, you need to get paid more than that. I'm like, I'm feeling pretty good about it. <laughs> it beats the last four years all the pieces. But we counted the cost. And here's the thing. When, when we got to the place and we needed more finances in our individual lives because of that, it wasn't, it wasn't really a big deal because we had already counted the cost. We're like, we, we've already accepted that. That's no big deal to us. It's easy because at the beginning, at the forefront, we counted the cost. He says, what king would go to war against another king without first sitting down with his counselors to discuss whether his army of 10,000 could defeat the 20,000 soldiers marching against him? Uh, and then here's what's happening. Somebody has made the king mad. He's emotional. He's like, get the chariots ready. We're going to go kill them. And then it, in verse and then all of a sudden, verse 32, and if he can't, he will send a delegation to discuss the terms of peace. And he'll sit down in verse 31 with his counselors, and then he'll send the delegation to discuss terms of peace while the enemy is still far away. Praise God, this king had enough emotional maturity to put his emotions down and not move by emotion. Otherwise, he's about to go get killed and get his whole kingdom ransacked and taken... Because he was mad, because he was upset. And the counselors, the counselors, praise God for wise counselors, the counselors come in and say, King, we got 10, they got 20. We're going to die. We're going to lose. Wouldn't it be nice sometimes when we're flying off with all heated emotions if we would have somebody right there at that moment that would say, slow down, hold up. And a lot of times we have that. You have it in a pastor because if you're ever in, in a heat like that, give me a call. Give me a call. Call the church right then. They'll get in touch with me quickly. And I'll talk you down off the ledge. 
Because we'll say, hey, the Lord, and, and maybe you need, maybe you need to jump. Maybe it's right. Maybe it's the Holy Spirit giving you a passion. But let's make sure before you do, let's get some wise counsel. But also you have the Holy Spirit. If you're in tune with him, you have the Holy Spirit that will constantly give you that so that you don't try and take 10,000 up against 20. This is the purpose of it. So he says, look. Unless you learn how to control this, you can't be my disciple without giving up everything that you own. Even your thoughts, even your emotions, you've got to give that stuff to me. Either I'm the Lord of your life or not. Remember, there's a verse that says, Lord, Lord, we've done all this in your name. And he says, depart, I never knew you. In other words, they thought, look, these are church people going to church. They thought they had given him, but they had not given him everything. They didn't actually make him Lord. They just wanted to go to heaven. They didn't live like it. He says, look, you've got to give up yourself, your thinking, your emotions, everything. And what God's saying is, there's a wise way to go about a plan. You've got to count the cost of your plan. And so I asked this the other night. How's your plan been working up to this point? Let's count the cost of your plan versus God's plan. God's plan is easy and light and he will always lead you to triumph. Your plan, has it been every time you've gone to triumph? Not mine. Whew. Far, far from it. So let's count the cost of following him and putting our flesh down versus me following my flesh. Man, the cost of that is, that's kind of easy to equate. Every time I follow him, I end up in blessings and victory. Every time I give myself to him, I end up in blessings and victory. Every time I follow myself, it's, you know, at, at the most, 50-50. That's easy. But yet, we, it's like we know that, but we, how many of us know that, but still, we've done our own thing? Isn't that amazing? <laughs> Isn't that amazing? So now's the night where we got to back off and say, okay, it's changing tonight. Tonight is changing. Lord, you are my Lord. You're the director of my life. Counting the cost is not just what will this cost me in the future, but it's also what will it cost me if I don't follow God's plan. Not just what will it cost me, but in other words, if I have this plan, and even though my plan can win, if I follow his plan, I win big. So now the cost is the difference between those two. I can, I can even maybe win with some of my own thinking. But if I follow his thinking, I can win big. Because he loves me big. He loves you big. He wants you to win big. But that means that when I'm emotional and I want to go get somebody, I've got to... 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Okay, Jesus, what do you want me to do? Because right now, they're fired. <laughs> Maybe he doesn't want you to fire them this time. Maybe he wants you to love on them because you're the only one with any spiritual authority in their lives. And the eternal fruit of your love will be worth what they cost you on the balance sheet. 
And only God knows that. Only God knows that. Because he's the one who can see it all. But then you win big because all of a sudden, when you do that in this life, you start to stack up rewards in eternity. Now, I want you to see that, is this not Jesus speaking the heart of God here and the heart of the Father? And God is showing us that a person that counts the cost of a plan is wise. He's showing us that if you'll count the cost, that gives you supernatural godly wisdom. Don't you think that God would follow his own advice? Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. Don't you think that God would follow his own advice to count the cost of a plan? In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10, it says this, again in New Living. For we are God's masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus. So we can do, we, say me. me. We can do the good things He planned for us. Long ago. God had a plan a long, long time ago. And it involved you being his masterpiece. And not only that, but he devised in his plan that you would do good things. Now, how good of a planner would he be? Uh, David, come here real quick. All right, stand right here. All right, now, uh, LaVey, I want you to come right here. And uh, uh, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go back there, and I want you to grab three bottles of water and then come back real quick, okay? Go, 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 go. Come here. Yeah. All right, I'm going to want you to stand right here. Awesome. All right, Judah, will you come here? I mean... Yeah, Judah and Shiloh. Come here. All right, Judah, stand right here. Boom. Shiloh, stand right here. All right, awesome. Good job. You got them? All right. I want you to hang out here for just a second. You hold that. All right, come with me. You hold that. You hold that. All right, right here. I want you to stand right here. With your hand up like you're going to give a high five. Amen? Now I want you to see something. David is God's man. And God had planned for him long ago to do good plans, to do good things. And God says, here's your good plan. I want you to run your race and your goal is over there where LaVey is. And when you get there, he's going to give you a high five. But the only problem is, in running the race, David is going to run out of juice before he gets there on his own. He's going to need a refreshing and a supply throughout this journey, or else he's not going to make it. If he doesn't have this supply, he's not going to make it to the end of the race. 
So now God says, but here's the thing. David knows that he's going to run out of supply. All of these, these guys here with the water bottles, they're spiritual. You don't see them. So imagine they're not there. David knows when he gets to about right here, he's fainting. He's out. I can't get there from here. I can't get there. But God said, David, run the race. Now at that point, we have to choose, are we going to be obedient or not? And we can't see all of the supply, but here's the thing. Is God a wise planner or not? Does he follow his own wisdom that says, let me count the cost. Let me see what he's going to need along the way. Now, I want him to go that way. And physically, it seems like it's not impossible. But with God, all things are possible. You might not can see the supply yet that you need, but if you'll be obedient to go, you'll find that right when you need it, God will have every supply that you need. And so he starts running the race in faith, trusting that God is a wise planner. And as he runs, he starts feeling famished, and all of a sudden, the, he hits the supply of God, and he picks up that supply. He takes the supply that he needs. He can't go any further if he doesn't have it. He takes that supply, he ingests it, and then he keeps on running his race. Hey, look, did God come through with the lion and the bear? Did God come through last time? Then he's going to help me with this fill. He's going to help me in the next time. And when I need it, right when I'm famished, God will have a supply. And then he, he takes that, he ingests it. All of a sudden now he's powered up. He's come through twice. What's going to happen next time? I, right when I need it, I'm going to have a supply because my eyes are on Jesus. My eyes are on Him. It's not on anything else. But I know, I know my God is a wise planner to help me finish the race. I know that God will come through. I know because he's a wise planner. He's counted the cost. He's set me up to run a good race and to do good works. And I'm, I don't have. If you've got everything you knew, need to run the plan that God has for you, it ain't God's plan. It ain't God's plan. It's your plan. But God will ask you for things when you don't have them. And he'll say, by faith, you will overcome this world. But you've got to trust me that I plan this out. And so come back here, David. Amen. Y'all can go sit down. Thank you. Leve, stay there. So you've got to understand that when he starts you, step back over there. When he starts you, it's easy when you can see every step and every su supply station. It's easy. It's easy. But how many know you can't see every supply station in the physical? You're not going to see them all. But, but, I can see the character and the nature of the supplier. I can see a loving God 
that'll tell me that with God all things are possible. I can see that even when I don't know what's going on, when it looks dim, when it looks like I can't make it, I can see the character and nature of an almighty God. I can see that He is who He says He is. Let every man be a liar, but God is true. My flesh may lie to me and say I can't make that, but I know who God is. I know who God is. I know who God is. I know who He is. I might not can see the supply station. I might not can see the supply station, but I can see my God. I can trust in Him and I can count the cost that although I'm not worthy of it by myself, I know somebody who is worthy and I know if I'll start right when I need it, it'll be there. And all of a sudden you start and you start getting famished and you think back about that scripture, my God shall supply all my needs. You confess it. You speak it in faith. My God shall supply all my needs in glory in Jesus' name. Boom, there it is. All of a sudden, you keep on going. All of a sudden, you can't see nothing. But then somebody says, oh, hey, the Lord woke me up in the middle of the night. He told me to bring this to you. In Jesus' name, be blessed. This is who our God is. And we run the race and everybody looks on and goes, Oh, look at that man of God. He's a man of God. He's so powerful. No, he just knows his God. That's right. He just knows who he is. And he trusts him with everything he has. Father, you're worthy of my trust. You're worthy of my trust. You're worthy of my trust. You got my life in your hands. You love me. Every hair on my head is numbered. You love me so much. There's no way you're going to let me down. There's no way. No way. The only way that we get let down is if we stop to try and dig a well. Out of our own power. And we forget the life giver. Thank you guys. John 10, 10, the thief comes to steal, only to steal, kill, and destroy. I've come that they might have life and have it abundantly. In the New Living, it says the thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. A rich and satisfying life. The bad stuff that happens in our life, that was never God's plan for you. It never was. Most of the bad stuff, with, in all honesty, most of the bad stuff that happens is the fruit of the seeds that we sowed ourselves, trying to dig our own wells instead of trusting in God. That's most of it, I'm telling you. The devil uses our own fears against us, and we've got to find the place where we say, I will fear no thing. Perfect love cast out all fear. I trust my God. God follows his own wise, spiritual, heavenly wisdom to count the cost. 
He said, I've created you for good works. I've planned it out. I've counted the cost. And as you go, you will have a supply every part of the way because I have planned it. The Almighty God has planned every piece of your good life. Now the key is, are you about good works? Are you about your works? Because if you're about your works, there's no promise for supply. But if we're about His works... The promise is always there. Amen. Psalms 37, 23 says, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he, the Lord, delights in his way. And this is actually talking about the Lord. He says, look, when he's starting that man off to run that race, he's like, I've got a plan laid out for you. Your steps are ordered. I've got it figured out the whole way. I have counted the cost. Everything you run into, it may look like there's a giant. It may look like there's a Jericho with impenetrable walls. It may look like there's no way, but I've got it planned out. All you got to do is listen to me. And he says, and then he says, God delights in his way. In other words, he's like, Gabriel, Michael, watch, watch this, watch. He's about to come up to this place and the Jordan's going to be swollen. The river's so big, can't cross. But watch when they put their foot, the steps are ordered. Why are y'all watching this? Y'all angels, you're supposed to listen to me. Watch. And then all of a sudden, when, watch when he puts his foot in the water. And the water splits. Did y'all see that? Oh my goodness! That's my boy. That's my son. Yeah. Romans eight twenty eight. God delights in His way. Romans eight twenty eight, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good. He works it all out. The plan's already laid from the foundation of the world. Your good plan is laid. Your good plan is laid. And He's all worked it out. Everything works together for good. That means when you come up to a place and all of a sudden, bam, you hit a wall. Whoa, that was not supposed to be here. How many was it? I love <laughs> Which one of y'all kicked me? <laughs> how, how many was it? All of a sudden, that's when you've got to remember, this didn't take God by surprise. God's, God's not sitting in heaven going, oh, Gabriel, Michael, what happened? No, no, no. He saw all this. And, and either he saw it and plan for it, or he's a liar. Come on. So right now, which is he? Oh, I see. My God is a good God, and he is no liar. And he works all things together for good. He works it all out. Those steps are ordered and all of a sudden, even if I missed it, I stepped off of his plan. He will reorder my steps and show me how to get through it, get around it because it's there. But he says all things work together for good. But see, everybody wants to take that promise. But look, 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 look. To those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. 
That means businessman that was called to be a preacher, he ain't in the right calling. There's no promise for all things to work together. Preacher who was called to be a businessman, they ain't in the right calling. Maybe it's his businessman who's later is supposed to be a preacher or a preacher who's later is supposed to be a businessman. But, you know, sometimes there are timings to it. You've got to make sure you're in the right calling at the right place. That means it says to those who love God. What did Jesus say about those who love me? He said those who love me will keep my commandment. That means they've constantly got their ear open to the Lord. They're listening. So it'll work out for good for those who are listening and being obedient to the Lord. But if you're not listening and being obedient to the Lord, you, there's no promise there for that it's going to work out. That's no promise that it's going to work out. But, 2 Corinthians 2.14. But thanks be to God. Listen to these next words. First of all, it starts out saying, thank you, thank you, thank you. Now, look, God is not unjust. In other words, he doesn't ask us to give thanks if there's not something worthy of giving thanks for. And when the moment he says, give thanks to God, he's declaring there's something there, whether you can see it or not. There is something there to give some thanks for. But thanks be unto God. Let's find out what for. Who always, sometimes, no, 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 no. Uh, every now and then? No. no. Always, always, always leads us in triumph in Christ. He always leads us in triumph in Christ and manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of Him in every place. That means every time, all we got to do is take Jesus by the hand. Come on, David, come back up. Stand right over there. Where? Just right there. Same thing. Hey, hey, son, I want you to go and run the race. Your destination's over there. Lord, I don't know how to make it. Lord, I don't know what path to take. I don't know the steps. That's okay. Don't you worry about it. You just start in that direction, and what you will find is Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, laying his hand out there. Now, don't try to lead Jesus. Let Jesus lead you. And all of a sudden, and he always leads us in triumph. In Christ. And Jesus, by the Holy Ghost, will lead us around that pitfall. He'll lead us back around that wall where, so we don't uh, find out, have to figure out who kicked us in the face. And then he'll lead us around that trap and he'll say, go right here. And oh, right here is some provision. Take some of that and have some overflow in Jesus' name. Glory to God. And, and then he'll come over here and have some more. Have some more. You're doing so good. I love you. Matter of fact, in the name of Jesus, Holy it goes power and anointed boom boom and they swell up with the power of God now finish your race and he leads them to triumph but listen if we come back over here that was some special WWE anointing that was especially for my wife because she loves it yeah there you go all right so so watch hey now watch same guy same plan 
run the race. I'm super Christian. I can do this all on myself. I don't need anybody else. I don't need the ways of God. What happened? I'm out of energy. God, you told me to go this way. You told me to be here. You told me to do this. And the father's sitting here like, son, what in the world are you doing? Get up, repent, confess. I'm faithful and just to forgive you. Take a dose of some medicine, good gracious. And now take me by the hand. Don't try to do this on your own. Stop digging your own well. You're never going to make it in your own power. You need me to lead you and guide you to the finish line. But thanks be unto God who always leads us in triumph in Christ. Triumph is always available, but it's always at the leading of God. We have to take him by the hand. Jeremiah 29, 11, as we wrap up. For I know the plans I have for you. Just when he says that right there. I know the plans that I have counted the cost of your life. I know the good stuff that I've created you as a masterpiece to walk out. You have a plan. And it's good and it's awesome. He says it in Psalm 91 that you might have a full and satisfied life. If you haven't been living a full and satisfied life, I'm not talking about the world's idea of, yeah, I'm doing all right. I mean, I've got a family and kids. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the way that God talks about full and satisfied. I'm talking about the fullness is so full you can't even help yourself. I'm talking about the fullness that overflows like the disciples when they walked by and the glory on them was so strong and power. They were so full and overflowing. People start jumping up healed. I'm talking about full and satisfied. He says, I know the plans I have for you. And I've counted the cost to give you a full and satisfied life, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. Hear me right now. I don't know where you're at, everybody. I don't know where you've all come from, but I know this promise right here is not a respecter of persons. This promise is to anyone who will receive it. And so no matter where you came from, no matter where you've been, you can start to see right now that God's got a plan for you. And he's thought about it. He's counted the cost. He's laid out every provision along the way. He'll take you by the hand and he'll show you how to do it. So much so that people will look at your life and say, how do they do that? 
And that's for every single one of us and anybody that might be listening. Not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. In those days when you pray, I will listen. For if you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. Verse 14, I will be found by you, says the Lord. I will end your captivity and restore your fortune. I will gather you out of the nations where I sent you and I will bring you home again and to your own land. In other words, I'll help you escape your plan. And I'll bring you back to my plan. The good one. The one that's full. The one that's overflowing. I'll help you find it. All you have to do is come to me wholeheartedly, Jesus says. Listen to this. God counted the cost of his plan with Jesus. He decided to give his son to die. Jesus decided to give his life for you. If God follows his own wisdom, then God counted the cost of that plan and he decided that you were worth it. The only result of that is to fill your life to the full and overflowing. The word says in Romans 8.32, if he didn't spare his son, how will he not with him freely give you all things? God said, I died for you and I counted your life worthy of me giving mine. He loves you. He did something about it. God counted the cost and he decided that you were worth it and he did something about it. He did something to bring you back to his good plan.